0: Hi, Saints. We are going to be looking at a passage or a section of the scripture in Matthew that we have already covered. We've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, and although we've covered Matthew 8, 1 through 17 in four separate sermons, or three separate sermons, I'd like to take a fresh look at verses 1 through 17 together and speak about four miracles that represent four Periods in history. And so it's an historical prophetic look at these verses. A Bible teacher, Arno Gablein, suggests this perspective in his commentary in Matthew, and I think it's worth looking at uh, together. So we'll just call this a bonus message for the study in the book of Matthew. <laughs> so as we've been studying, uh, I just want to do a quick survey of what we've already covered. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the King. In chapters 5 through 7, uh, we record the proclamation of the King, and we know that as the Sermon on the Mount. In chapters 8 and 9, we record the credentials of the King. And in the next several chapters of Matthew, uh, we set aside the, Matthew sets aside the historical order of events, and instead groups some of the miracles together to prove that Jesus is indeed the King, the Messiah, the one the prophets predicted would come. And so as we look back at the Old Testament, we learn that the prophets spoke or prophesied about the coming King, uh, the Messiah. And these are several things that we learn. First of all, the Bible predicted that the Messiah, the King, would save them and heal them. Isaiah 35, four through six says, "'He will come and save you. "'Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, "'and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. "'Then the lame shall leap like a deer, "'and the tongue of the dumb sing.'" The second thing we learn from the prophecies is that the Messiah would have great power and authority. And we see this in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And so there we learn about the power and authority of the Messiah. Third, the uh, prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would set the captives free. In Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, and by the way, this is the passage that Jesus quoted when he preached in the temple, and he said this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is the passage Jesus read, and he stopped at that point, and he said that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. We read that in Luke 4, 18 through 19. And so let me just summarize again, the Messiah would save and heal them, he would have great power and authority, and he would set captives free. And it's interesting to note that the Gospel of Matthew takes this expectation of the coming Messiah and runs with it. And he presents three groupings of the Lord's miracles covering those three elements of the Messiah's rule or his reign. So the first one again is that the king came to save them and heal them. And we see that in chapter 8 verses 1 through 17. The healing of the leper, verses 1 through 4. The healing of the centurion's servant, 5 through 13. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law, 14 and 15. And the healing of the multitude in 16 and 17. The second um, portion of chapter 8, and the beginning of chapter 9, we see the king who has power and authority. He has power over nature. He has power over the demons, or authority over the demons. He has power and authority over sin and sickness in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. The third aspect is that the king sets captives free, and Matthew continues on with this line of thinking in chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, he set they are set free from sin. In verses 18 through 26, they're set free from sickness and death. He in uh, verses 27 through 31, set free from blindness. Verses 32 through 34, set free to speak. And verses 35 through 38, they're set free to work. So the Jews expected a king. Jesus presented himself as the king uh, in chapters eight through twelve. But his own people rejected him and actually attributed his work to the devil. In the Gospel of John, we read, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So let's take a fresh look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. There are four main miracles here, and some Bible teachers see this section as prophetic. Prophetic. Now, the events, of course, really actually took place in history, but they also picture for us an even greater history of the world. Could it be that the stories are interwoven in such a way to describe the first coming of Christ, our present age, and finally, the millennium? Let's see if it fits. So in verse, the first section is um, verses one, chapter eight, verses one through four. The healing of the leper. Let me read again to you this passage: When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying. I am willing be cleansed and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him see that you tell no one but go your way show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them now as we all know leprosy was a terrible disease a man's skin swells and breaks open with oozing sores and the jewish priests could diagnose leprosy But they could not cure it. There was no cure. So I want to mention two people. Miriam in Numbers 12 and Naaman in 2 Kings 5 were the only two Old Testament examples of lepers who were healed. And it is clear that it was God who intervened to heal them. A leper lived in isolation. He was ostracized. His was a living death, and the priest would say to him, you are unclean, in Leviticus 13.44. In Leviticus 13.45 and 46, it says this, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, he shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His habitation shall be outside the camp. Now, the leper could not be in close contact with others in case they were infected with his disease. He did not know the loving embrace of a wife. He could not enjoy the affection of his children. He had to practice social distancing. He could cry only from afar, unclean, unclean, as a warning to others to stay away from him. There was nothing he could do to cleanse himself. Now, if someone was actually cured of leprosy, the Bible tells us he was to go to the priest and the priest would examine him. And if he was healed, the priest would declare him clean. But there is no record of that ever happening through the entire history of the Jewish nation no one had ever been healed of leprosy that we know of except as we mentioned by God's intervention those two individuals this should have been a clue that only God can heal a leper when Jesus came down from the mountain the first person to meet him was a Jewish leper and it is significant to me that the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of Matthew is proof to the Jewish nation that God had come to visit planet Earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The leper recognized Jesus as God. He came in faith saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the first touch the man experienced since he became a leper was the loving, healing touch of Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. In the Bible, leprosy is not only a disease, but it is also an illustration of sin, This man represented not only sinners in general, but as a Jew, he represented the nation of Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in this passage, came down from the mountain, but not just from the mountain, he came down from heaven to dwell among men. God became a man. And the word became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. The Jewish nation was like this leper. The Bible says of Israel, The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have uh, not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Isaiah 1, 5-6 Really the whole nation should have flocked to the Lord Jesus Christ as this leper did, and and they should have said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make us clean. And the Lord Jesus would have responded, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus said as much when he cried over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, where he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often... I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus was physically present when this man came to him and was healed. He was physically present, offering healing to the whole nation, but his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. This first event This first healing is a type. It illustrates the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, before we move on to the next one, I want to just say to you this. What is your diagnosis? You are also a sinner, condemned and unclean if you don't know the Lord. And there is no cure apart from the intervention of God. You cannot heal yourself. Pastors, priests, rabbis... They cannot cure you, and there is no medicine available for your condition. There is no doctor who can prescribe a cure. There is nothing you can do to cleanse yourself. There is only one person who can forgive your sins and save your soul, and that person is Jesus Christ. Be like the leper. Come to him and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And you will find Jesus to respond, I am willing, be cleansed. The second event, the second healing, takes place in chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Let's read it. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, as you know, a centurion was a military man in the Roman army who had a hundred men under his command. He came to Jesus because he wanted Jesus to heal his servant who was terribly sick and paralyzed. When Jesus said he would come to to the house to heal the servant, the centurion said. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Yet he longed for his servant's recovery. He said, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. You see, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority. And as a centurion, he had authority over his troops. He issued orders and his men obeyed him. And he recognized that Jesus had this same kind of authority over sickness he could simply speak the word, and the disease would flee away. And we read, Jesus marveled. Only two times in the New Testament do we hear those words. Why did he react this way? He marveled because of the man's faith. The centurion was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. Even the Jews did not demonstrate such great faith Jesus said I have not found such great faith not even in Israel in other words not even among the Jews Before he healed the servant the Lord Jesus Christ said something profound He said many will come from the east and west that is obviously gentile nations and will sit down with the great men of faith Abraham Isaac and Jacob but many sons of the kingdom which is a reference to the Jews who thought they inherited the blessing of Abraham by birth, but many sons of the kingdom would be cast into hell. Jesus likens the kingdom to a feast where the invited guests are those who have exercised their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham exercised faith in God. We read, "...and Abraham believed God, and he was declared righteous." This centurion exercised his great faith in Jesus. He believed, and he was also promised that he would be in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. While many of the sons of the kingdom, the chosen race of Israel, would be cast into hell. Will they be cast into hell because they could not believe? No, it's because they would not believe. Now, on a side note, I want to just mention this. Jesus spoke of hell as a fact. Hell is a fact. It's a reality. You say, well, that scares me. Well, good. If it makes you concerned enough about getting right with God, about repenting of your sins and seeking refuge in Jesus Christ, that is a good thing. The teaching on hell is meant to warn you to flee from the wrath to come. Jesus describes hell as a as being a place where you are cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know from the scripture that hell was prepared by God for the devil and the rebellious angels, and it will be the eternal dwelling of all who do not turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says that hell will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, 15. Those who exercise faith in Jesus Christ as the centurion did will sit down in the kingdom of heaven. Why does he say this? Well, it's really a prophetic look into the future. Jesus knew that the Jews would reject him. And he was actually looking forward to the time when the Gentiles would believe on him. And that is exactly the situation we find ourselves in today the doors are wide open for the Gentiles the Gentile nations Gentile believers to believe the gospel and be saved the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty five that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ so the gospel went out to the Gentiles and really for the most part Um, The Jews have still hardened their heart to the gospel, gospel, while the Gentiles are flocking in. I want you to take a note of where Jesus was when he healed the servant. Jesus healed him while he was physically absent. He was not in the room. He was not in the house. He did not touch the servant, but he merely spoke the word from a distance. And the servant was healed. The one who came was a Gentile. And those who are coming and being saved today are predominantly Gentiles. And Jesus is not physically present right now. He has risen, ascended, and seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, the scripture is exceptionally clear that God is not through with the Jews yet. And I want to emphasize that because there are believers who have a terrible theology and say that the church has inherited the blessings of Israel and that God is through with the nation altogether. And though the Calvinists would love to have it that way, nothing could be further from the truth. If you read the prophets who tell of the future of Israel and you read Romans 9 through 11, which tells of the working of God in the nation of Israel, past, present, and future, take the words in their normal sense and it is evident to all that Israel still has a hope, Israel's clock will start ticking again in the future, and God will draw them to himself. But Israel's rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ turned out for the Gentiles' favor. It's to our benefit. The Bible says, now if their fall, that is if Israel's fall, is riches for the world, and their failure... That is, their failure to believe on Jesus, riches for the Gentiles, how much more, their fullness, meaning that there is a hope and a future for the, for, the, for the Jews. It's true. If as a result of Israel's rejection, the gospel went out to us, the Gentiles, and the Gentiles can now be saved, what tremendous blessing will come, as we read in Romans 11:26, when all Israel will be saved? Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that the hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So I want to just say to you, if you're a Gentile today, listen. For he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is being offered to you now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't promise you tomorrow. He urges you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Believe that Jesus died on the cross as full payment for your sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Listen up, you Gentiles. Now is the day of salvation. The third healing is found in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. This is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she arose and served them. Peter's mother-in-law is Jewish and she's sick in the house with a fever. Jesus comes into the house, into Peter's house and heals her and she immediately rises To serve them. Do you know that the Old Testament prophets compare Israel to a woman, a widow, one who is forsaken? They also speak of her future healing. As I mentioned, Romans eleven twenty five tells us that this hardening, in part, has happened only until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When that happens, the prophetic clock will start ticking again for Israel. And with world events such as they are today, and the signs of the uh, time nearing the end, it is clear that God's dealings with the Gentile nations is nearing completion. The fulfillment of the Gentiles is reaching, or pardon me, the fullness of the Gentiles is reaching the top, and God will once again turn His attention toward Israel. Count on it. The Bible will not fail. (coughs) The nation of Israel is like Peter's mother-in-law, fevered today. She is like a distressed woman. But there is coming a day when her fever will rise and it will appear as if she is going to pass off the scene altogether as she is furiously tormented during the time known as the tribulation. Uh, This is a high fever, as Luke mentions. Just as Jesus went into Peter's house, the Lord will come back to the house of Israel, and he will touch the nation, her fever will be gone, her wars will stop, her sins and iniquities he will remember no more, and Israel will arise from her bed and minister to him and to the world. This is a prophetic look. Jesus was physically present to heal her, and she rises to minister to him. Jesus is coming again, and he will one day be physically present to heal Israel, and Israel will rise to minister to him, and Israel's healing will result in untold blessing to everyone, as we see next in the fourth healing in verse, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, where the multitudes are healed. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Notice the time of day. It's evening. Evening is the close of the day. And here It is an illustration of the close of human history on earth. The millennium is the evening of the history of mankind on this earth. It is a thousand-year period in which there will be peace. Satan and demons will be cast into the bottomless pit. They are cast out just as they are here in this story. The demons will not have free reign as they do now. The Bible tells us in Habakkuk, uh, pardon me, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four: No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. He is speaking of Israel here. And for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And as Israel rises up from her sick bed, and is healed and serves the nations and serves the Lord, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus healed the multitudes of all their infirmities and sicknesses. He cast out demons, and I believe this portrays powerfully the healing of the nations during the millennium. Matthew specifically points to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The event in Matthew is a partial fulfillment, but the prophecy will find its total fulfillment during the millennium, and there we will see Uh, that the infirmities or the sicknesses, sin is forgiven, and sicknesses uh, are no longer the plague that they are today. Once again, Jesus is physically present during this um, healing, and Jesus will be physically present during the millennium. All people come to him. The multitudes will seek him as they did in this uh, healing. The Bible says unto him, shall the gathering of the people be. And the book of Revelation speaks of the healing of the nations. Now, Paul says in Romans 11, if their fall, if the fall of the Jewish people is riches for the world and their failure, riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. And so all Israel will be saved As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. What we have just looked at is still future. However, the door still remains open for you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? What are you to believe? You are to admit clearly that you're a sinner. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy. You must turn from your sins. It's called repentance and turn to the Lord. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who can make you clean. God doesn't simply overlook your sin. The penalty of sin is death. And the Lord Jesus Christ took the death you deserved And he died on the cross as full payment for your sin. He died as your substitute. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I want to urge you today, trust him as your Lord and Savior. Submit to him as your Lord and King. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful to you for your word and for the things that you have planned Uh, for us and for the world. Lord, as we look at the sin and the sickness that has plagued this earth, Lord, we are reminded afresh that you have plans for us, not for calamity, but for good. Lord, we thank you that um, you came to this earth the first time and that you offered yourself to your people. And though they rejected you, Lord, that opened the door for the Gentiles to come and to believe the gospel and be saved. And we are so grateful to you, Lord, for saving our souls. But Lord, we know that you're not finished with Israel yet. We know that there is a future for her. We know that there is a time of terrible tribulation that she is to endure. And yet, Lord, at the end of all of that, all Israel will be saved. Those those who live will remain and will trust in you. And Lord, you will bring healing to the land, healing to the people, and healing to the nations. Lord, we look forward to the fulfillment of your prophecies, to the fulfillment of your plans. We know, Lord, that you are king, and that you will do as you have promised to do. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you might do so quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.